What do you recommend, Mr. Uh, Couples Coach? I think you ought to know your wife well enough to know <laughs> what the answer to that is. <laughs> I am not going to answer for her. Take a Megaplex down. <laughs> Safety for everybody, but we're only, we're taking the popcorn crown. Why He'll there was that, that long pause is because I was told if it was funny, they're not going to edit it out. <laughs> so. Oh, no, I, oh, I, I learned something already. Yeah. Romco. Just want to give out your personal cell phone number. <laughs> No. That doesn't sound too bad. That was great. That Do was that again. Good. Yeah. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. By promoting safety and health through education, services, and products, this, this is Utah Safety Podcast. Speaking up for safety. Well, we still haven't uh, come up with uh, an opening opening. What's it called, Brandon? Like an opening segment for uh, an intro. Yeah, an opening intro. We don't have one yet, so we just kind of make it up as we go along. In fact, it's called Speaking Up for Safety, Utah Safety Council's podcast. I was confused when I first started it because my podcast notebook is Standing Up for Safety, but that is wrong. It is Speaking Up for Safety. (laughs) Utah Safety Council's uh, podcast sponsored by Utah's Labor Commission. We're here in Ogden, the best city in Utah, right? Hands Our down. Long. Hands down. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Crockett? Um, yeah, the three times I've made it up here, it's been great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, it's it's enjoyable. Yeah. Well, we are on uh, Weber State's campus, beautiful campus. Uh, in fact, we're right up next to the mountain, and um, you have to be careful up here because wild animals are running everywhere, to include a, what is that, a coyote over that's a, there? That's a coyote. <laughs> a plastic coyote mm. to keep uh, the real wild animals away. So... We're here with Kurt Godfrey. Kurt Godfrey, uh, he is the Continuing Education Director of the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational and Environmental Health, otherwise known as RMCOEH, right, Kurt? Romco, yep. Romco. Oh, I I I learned something already. (laughs) Romco. Did you uh, come up with that, or is that... No. It was there when I got there. Brandy, really? Yeah, it's like rom-com. I'm not going to forget that, Romco. Romco. There you go. I like it. Well, uh, Kurt, you've been uh, the continuing education director at Romco for a year now, so I guess the honeymoon is over. How's, how was the first year? Just dive right into it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first year like? It was nothing that I expected. Uh, I got hired right at a time where there was a big transition going on at the Rocky Mountain Center, and it all stems from a partnership between the University of Utah and Weber State. So when I came in as the director, my first job was to facilitate that transition, moving CE from the University of Utah to Weber State. So that was quite an adventure. Well, uh, and on your website, the University of Utah's and Weber State's website, they call it a multi-university partnership. Yes. Uh, and as Brandy can attest to, because she has worked with Romco uh, for 20 years now, and it's always mm-hmm. been a University of Utah organization, uh, but now there is this uh, multi-university partnership between WSU and the U of U. Uh, what do you know of that partnership and how it came to be, or what are you able to uh, share with the public? <laughs> Probably 
less than they would want to hear simply because <laughs> I don't, uh, I was not part of the beginning of that and uh, the forming of that partnership. But there was some needs and Weber State has an incredible nursing program and in occupational health and safety, occupational health nursing is there's a great need. And so with Weber State's amazing nursing program, what better institution to partner with than Weber State Nursing to develop an occupational health nursing program and start to fill that need in our community, in our state, and throughout the country. And there's also um, an academic side to that as well with a bachelor's degree that they're looking at starting with occupational health and safety. And it's just a, a great partnership between those two universities to bring the research arm and the medical arm of the University of Utah with the continuing education at Weber State and their nursing program and merging those together in a partnership. You have two powerhouses that are specialized in what they do, and you bring those together and you come up with an amazing product. So maybe this isn't a fair question for you, but is this the first time the two universities have partnered? Like on this level, is this kind of innovative or have they tried this before? Yes, this is very innovative. Okay. To my knowledge, I don't know of two universities that's ever partnered in this in this type of a partnership in the state. Hmm. So to be able to take courses at the University of Utah and Weber and be able to take them at either place and both universities recognizing those courses to my understanding that is something very new yeah well the real question is when i go to uh, a university of utah football game when they're hosting the we were say wildcats i've been to those games before and uh i want to say the Ute fans are not always welcoming to, uh, you know, Weber State fans. But oh, come on, now, John. now that we're partners, I can say, hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Weber State, U of U, we're partners in the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational Environmental Health. I'm sure that that'll will calm happen. them right down, right? We'll interlock arms and <laughs> yeah. and and not care who wins because we're we're both winners either way. Are they ever going to play each other <laughs> next season? Together? Yeah, it's like the oh, second really? or third game oh, okay. of uh, Utah's. Yeah, I don't. I want to say. It's their home opener against Weber State. Well, we'll all be there, front and center. Yeah. All right, well, we'll dive into more about uh, Romco, but uh, Kurt, so they hired you because they knew you were the person for the job. I mean, you have uh, 35, 40 years, 50 years in education. What was it? (laughs) 75. Uh, About 34 years in education. Education is my background. That's what my degree is in. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, I looked it up. You have a, um, a Bachelor of Science in Family Studies from uh, Weber State University. Yes. And then I got my master's degree here as well in education. Well, and I also Googled you, and I found out you're listed twice, twice, two times as the who's who among American teachers. <laughs> How does one uh, get bestowed with that honor twice? That's a well-hidden fact. I don't know where you found that from. <laughs> he's nothing if he's not thorough. Yeah, <laughs> so. uh, wow. Um, that came through being uh, from students, students submitting me to the who's who of American teachers and 
being selected through that process. So it, it, it was initiated by students. Yeah. So you, uh, so tell us, uh, what are the cliff notes of your 34 year experience, a career in, in education? You were a seminary teacher for, uh, most of it, if I remember right. In fact, uh, you were my, uh, brother Brad and brother Michael seminary teacher. What was, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> being their teacher? <laughs> uh, they were great. Cause I know they're going to be listening to this. So. <laughs> they were amazing students. Um, my career path was not probably what the typical path is for those that work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in, in their seminary institute. Um, I spent much of my time in the, the 34 years coordinating or being an administrator for the different programs. So I've done both seminary and institute. I, w- I moved out to Atlanta, Georgia for five years to coordinate the programs out there. And I coordinated institute courses here in the Weber Davis area as well as taught those. I was in their training division for a couple years. So where many people spend most of their time in the classroom, I had quite a, a variety of experiences which actually fed into what I do here now in managing and directing the continuing education programs. Yeah, and we had uh, we we had an opportunity, Kurt and I, to meet last week, and we got to know each other a little bit more. But you told a story where uh, you were uh, doing something at the institute here on campus at Weber State, and then you just decided, you know what, I would really like to work at Weber State. Yeah, I had the opportunity to walk across the campus, and I thought I'll go walk around the old stomping grounds a little bit and see what's changed, and a lot has changed. <laughs> Uh, a lot of beautiful new buildings. But as I walked around, those feelings that I had while I was on campus just came back. And I just thought this would be a great place to work. And a couple years later, I just felt it was time to retire while I was still loving my job. I didn't want to outlast my uh, enjoyment of the job. So at 34 years, I thought I'll retire a little early and go find another job. And it was the Weber State website that I started searching for jobs just from that one experience. Wow. What was the interview process like? Like, What does it take to get a job in a university? I think it's a lot, right? Uh, You go through the interview process. You fill out the application. They review them. You go through an interview process. If there's more uh, candidates, you may be called back for a second interview. There's a hiring committee that uh, you go before and make sure you meet the qualifications. And then they also want to make sure that you're a good fit for the university as well. Very cool. Well, uh, and also in the dark uh, reaches of the web, I found that you also do or have done some couples coaching and a public speaker, a life coach. <laughs> you still doing some of that? Maybe yeah. let's jump into that. Like, you know, yes. my my wife uh, Kristen works in the same building. Maybe we just uh, ask Brandon and, and Brandy to leave, and we invite her in. <laughs> let's have we can a see session. who needs the most fixing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've um, I, I don't necessarily do any therapy or counseling. I do use my um, knowledge as a life coach and just life in general as a life coach. And I've done that between 10 and 15 years now. And I don't advertise it. I usually keep two or three clients at a time, but, uh, it's just there with my degree in family studies and with a minor in psychology. It's, I just try to 
help them find tools to help them navigate some of the difficult things in their life and yeah. make sure they're happy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those tools will come in especially handy uh, as you uh, navigate the safety and, and environmental world uh, here in, in Utah. So, yeah, that'll be... Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that needs a big focus in the state is the total worker health, and that includes the mental health of our employees. So that's going to be one of the pushes that, while I'm director, that we're going to move towards is looking at the total worker and you really do have a vision. You know, we talked about it, but it's uh, it's listed on um, the website uh, for Romco. Uh, I mean, you're quoted as saying you prefer to look at the workplace safety from a total health perspective. Maybe explain that a little bit. Well, for example, um, one of the top causes of death among construction workers is suicide, and that needs to be addressed. That's a that's a safety issue, obviously in mental health and there are work stresses that will affect your physical health and those type of the mental and emotional stresses of work can also affect the home and family so we want to make sure that your the employees are not only just safe but then they're able to be productive while they're at work so does that translate into creating training classes just community education like how are you planning to do that There's multiple ways and approaches to do that. First, you could work with uh, health and safety professionals that oversee certain companies and help provide them training that they can take back to their employees. Or we could offer courses for individuals where employers could send them to the courses for the help that they need. The important thing is that those who do the training are professionals in that area, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, If you're going to do something on suicide, for example, you need to have someone who understands that as you discuss those things, those could cause some triggers in those that are in the audience or in the class listening. And so you you need to have those that are trained professionally in dealing with these matters in a, so that they can do it in a way that will not just be informative, but also be sensitive to those that are in the audience. And you've only been here a year, but you're so, uh, you know, mental health sounds like one of them, but uh, you're also quoted as you're excited uh, to get into the community and assess the needs um, here in the state. Uh, Other than mental health, have you got to do much assessing yet? Most of it was working on the transition between the two universities. But one of the things I have noticed is the great need for training in Spanish language. And I've met with representatives at the Mexican consulate and community organizations. And there is a great need for safety training, especially among undocumented workers. They need to have a place where they can become and be trained, but also know that they're safe in coming to be trained. So that's probably the greatest emphasis that I'm working and looking towards right now is to start to find ways to provide training for those that speak Spanish. Yeah, in fact, that's where we met for the first time was uh, at a planning meeting for the Mexican consulate's uh, labor rights uh, uh, planning uh, week that happens every September, right? Right before, end of August, first of September, right around Labor Day. Labor Day, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I want to say that you even uh, put that, vision on the website 
Yeah, right here. Uh, the data is clear. Hispanic workers are more likely to die on the job than any other racial or ethnic group in the U.S., according to the um, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. In fact, that 22, almost 23% of workers who suffered fatal occupational injuries were Hispanic, yet they compromised just 18% of the workforce. So, you know, the Rocky Mountain Center is committed to improving the situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because when we spoke to uh, Floyd Johnson at UWASH, he has a similar, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's driven by a similar cause where, you know, his legacy project before he leaves is to, uh, uh, you know, deliver or have everything available in Spanish and engage with that community much better than, you know, the Labor Commission has. So. Yeah, very yeah. cool. There's a great need there. Yeah. What are we doing, Brandy, at the Safety Council? I feel like we got to <laughs> step it up now. I know, we're behind, especially now. You know, traditionally, we haven't done a lot in Spanish language. We had defensive driving, and now we don't have that anymore. And we've, you know, had a, we, we call it Spanish 101. It was like a, you know, intro to safety kind of class. And and it was hard um, because we weren't really in that scene and, and didn't have the right networks to get the word out. And so it didn't take off as well as we thought, but um, the need hasn't changed, right? Obviously, it's still there. And I think, you know, we all have to just kind of work together and, and do it as one in the different areas. So I agree. I, there is so much work to be done that I think any one organization trying to handle it completely is not realistic. So that's why I've gone to other organizations that may be able to help to empower us to, to extend our reach, but I don't see why there couldn't be more organized efforts between different safety organizations to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, there's, you know, AGC, ABC, the manufacturing, everyone has their customers and they all need assistance. So... That totally makes sense. Absolutely. When I was speaking with the people at the Mexican consulate, one of the needs that they said they had were those workers that were in the hospitality industry and them receiving the needed safety training in that environment. And so at the Rocky Mountain Center, we're uniquely qualified to do that, where we have faculty members that are expert in these fields and can help develop curriculum yeah so we can provide that training well and uh, you know we brought up uwash and floyd johnson maybe uh what is the difference so our listeners know so uwash the utah occupational safety and health division a division of the utah labor commission and uh well hello mrs wojcikowski how are you <laughs> Did you know Kurt Godfrey's Welcome. a couples coach and speaker? <laughs> he says he can fix couples all your counseling. problems. He can fix all your problems for me. He keeps saying couples coach, but I really don't advertise that. <laughs> at the end of this, he says, I'll be, a, I'll be a new man. Yeah, he'll just make an appointment just for you, Kristen. And then Let me know how it goes. <laughs> ask for a written, written notes afterwards. Well, would you recommend as a good anniversary present for you know those men out there that are total <laughs> oh, Valentine's is coming up that's true oh, oh yeah that's good mm -hmm. Valentine's what do you recommend Mr. Uh, couples coach this is all going in too by the way oh, like great. not a vacuum <laughs> not a vacuum not, yeah, nothing misogynistic <laughs> I think you ought to know your wife well enough to know <laughs> what the answer to that is <laughs> I am not going to answer for her <laughs> he's smart <laughs> 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 Kurt told me to get your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You wash, you wash. What's the difference between you wash and uh, the Rocky Mountain Center? How do they both play a role in Utah, and uh, how are they different? The Utah Occupational Safety and Health Division, Utah's uh, OSHA, and uh, and the Rocky Mountain Center. They both exist in the state of Utah. They both exist in Utah or in Salt Lake City, right? Yeah, it's probably more understanding the difference. But you're not going in and doing uh, employer. Uh, workplace inspections no. or you don't have compliance officers and no part uh, one of our programs at the rocky mountain center in their continuing edu- in our continuing education department is osha and we are the mountain west osha training institute so uh, we provide the training courses that are necessary and then the other osha departments they they have the inspections and they're the ones to do the investigations we simply are the educational institute for osha but if an employer in the state of utah wanted to uh you know send employees for education or maybe learn you know the code of federal regulations you can certainly you know steer uh, those people in the right direction in your continuing education program right if we don't offer it we can we can steer them to where they can find that information or have those needs met. For OSHA, we have set courses. We don't develop the courses. OSHA tells us here are the courses, and those are the courses that we train in. And so there's 39, almost 40 courses that we can hold from our training institute. Wow. And so outside of that, we do not delve into anything besides the training in those courses. So the Rocky Mountain Center established in 1977 to meet the need for comprehensive occupational and environmental safety and health programs in the West. So the West includes Utah, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and also extends into Idaho and Nevada. So it's a big gig. How do you uh, how do you manage uh, those states? Like what is uh, exactly you know, the role of the Rocky Mountain Center in, in the region? Yeah, our region is Region 8. It consists of six states. And so our goal then is to provide those OSHA training courses throughout those six states. There's another OSHA training institute that was just awarded to a group in Colorado. So there'll be two of us that cover these six states but to have a presence in all those states we we work with like other colleges universities tech schools or the north dakota safety council and we We love the north dakota safety council (laughs) by the way hey chuck hi chuck (laughs) (laughs) and they become host sites for us so we need a place to hold these courses and so they become our host sites and we hire instructors that can teach the OSHA courses that meet the qualifications to be instructors. And so we'll, we'll teach them at these host sites at the various locations yeah. throughout the states. And that's, yeah, and that's the role of the Utah Safety mm-hmm. Council. Maybe tell us about that, Brandy. Like, we've, uh, we've been good partners, right? With yeah, the I certainly hope so, yes. So over the last several years, Connie, you're you know, people before you uh, approached us to be a host site because we do such similar training and have, you know, such similar audiences, right? And so some co- courses work better than others, right? But yeah, it's nice to have your instructors come on our site and kind of promote that to our customers too and just 
kind of build that partnership and we have more schedule on the schedule for um, 2023. So that's good. Yeah. And I actually had a question about that. So how many host sites do you have? And like, what is the scope of it? What are the training numbers that you're putting in like on a yearly basis between what you all do and all of your host sites like ourselves? Well, we have one in North Dakota and South Dakota and, and Montana and Colorado, <laughs> Southern Utah. And uh, we, last year, we held between OSHA courses and NIOSH courses and, and conferences, we held 216 of those. And those that were trained, uh, our number is 2,576 individuals that came through our courses or programs to receive training last year. Well, and a lot of them aren't just one-day classes. They're like four-day classes, multiple, kind of all week. So it might be a training course, but they're getting a lot of hours from you all. Absolutely. We have OSHA courses that are 30 hours, and we do conferences that last for three days as well. So it can be a, a short course of one day or a half a day, or it could extend into m- multiple days. Yeah. And the short courses are a big part of the hygiene conference that you guys do. I know it's Absolutely. always well attended, right? So yes. that's good. Well, always COVID kind of had a, <laughs> that's a true. downturn. COVID kind of ruined everything but, for us. But. but we were very well, we were very pleased with the attendance that we had this year. When you oversee all the OSHA instructors, so, you know, we teach uh, like an OSHA 10 class and OSHA 30 classes at the Utah Safety Council, and we, uh, our instructors will issue a card, an OSHA certificate training card, but all that is uh, uh, sanctioned by the Rocky Mountain Center. So um, our instructors, they coordinate with, uh, with your office and, you know, to make sure that the course is being delivered the way it should be delivered and instructors are credentialed to teach what they're teaching and and uh, all those cars are issued by the instructor per the Rocky Mountain Center. Right? Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, they, to be a, an instructor, they do have to go through the OSHA training and they also need to uh, be good at what they do. Every course that is taught is followed with an evaluation and th- those are tracked. We don't just want to recite information. We, we, our instructors are some of the best, I would say, in the nation. They not, they not only know the information, but they have skills to teach it in a way that is very effective. Hands-on, when the students leave, they, they walk away knowing that they've gained something that is very beneficial for them. Yeah, they do work hard. I have noticed when, you know, we do host those classes uh, at the council and students want to stay after and talk to the instructor, have additional questions. They'll stay um, sometimes until 6.37 o'clock. Huh, <laughs> <laughs> and we stay too. So we love that. Yeah. And we get a question. I'll ask you this. We get questions all the time. People taking our OSHA 10 and 30. We teach the, you know, general industry and construction. And when they come through our class, I actually just got one today asking about the OSHA 500 series and how to become trainers. And I hope I'm telling them the right thing. I'm just sending them back to you all and getting them set up for those. Um, But what are you looking for? Like, is there a need for more of those trainers out in the field like how often are you holding those classes if somebody wanted to come do it what would they need to do there is a process to become an instructor and to be an outreach instructor 
that they have to go through. They have to have experience. They have to have knowledge. They have to have gone through the courses. It, it's not just, hey, I want to be one and, and sign up. They go through a process that OSHA looks at them very carefully to make sure that they are qualified. When we're talking about someone's life on the line or a co-worker's or someone else, that, that's very serious. And so OSHA takes it very serious. And um, not everyone who applies for to be a part of the course to become an instructor is accepted. Hmm, that's good to know, yeah. And how often are you doing them throughout the year? A handful or? All I can say is regularly. Okay. I, off the top of my head, I, I don't have the schedule here. I need dates. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, is it just once or twice a year, or is there enough need and um, availability to teach it all the time was, was always meaning. but There's enough need that it's Good. taught regularly. Okay. I, I, I know that for certain. But the question was asked, you know, is there a need? And my answer is, I don't have the exact number of if we're short or anything, but we're always in need of quality instructors. That it's just, there's always a need for that. Not just people that have information, but those that can teach it in a way that can affect lives. Well, and one thing too, while we're talking about the OSHA outreach instructors, I think it's interesting. I feel like they're always changing their curriculum and they're updating it and you know making sure that they're hitting those core areas. But our instructors are always giving us something new or something different to add to make it a little bit different or to keep up up to date with everything. So that takes a lot too. Absolutely. I have, my staff right now is working as hard as possible to try to keep our materials updated. And we work very closely since we're the experts in maybe education, but not in health and safety. So that's why we hire professionals to come in to, to do these courses. And it's these professionals, like you've mentioned, that are the ones that are giving us the information we need to keep our course material current. Yeah. Well, speaking of course material, you know, we are the, the Safety Council is a chapter of the National Safety Council. So we deliver a lot of their content, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not always up to date. You know, we're still in some of our courses, OSHA courses, certificate courses, you know, citing CFR codes that are a little bit outdated. Mm -hmm. How do we uh, how do we get uh, OSHA and centers like yours and the National Safety Council in a room to you know help with that kind of stuff? Just updating course content, and so you know we're all trying to uh, I mean we're all trying to you know save lives and and achieve the same mission. I just I just don't want to deliver any more old content and you know get phone calls from instructors. And <laughs> Absolutely, I wish I had the answer to your question. If I knew how to get federal government local organizations to get, come together on the same page if i had the answer it happened i was gonna say <laughs> it wow. would be happy. <laughs> i'd probably be a guest speaker at major conferences <laughs> but uh well just remember where you got your first start that's right, yeah. Podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Well, moving on. So the Rocky Mountain Center uh, just uh, doing its thing and plugging away and, and saving lives since 1977. Um, up there at the uh, main campus at the, at the University of Utah at the, uh, where were you guys up there? Chris, and where were they? They're up there at Research Park, right? In that nice facility up by the mountain? She said yes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. They were up there. Yes. 
but you have a new headquarters. In 2001, Aramco uh, moved from Research Park to uh, this new main campus, a new facility downtown Salt Lake. So we are here at Weber State, but uh, the main headquarters is in downtown Salt Lake. The new location renovated with the help of $1.1 million from WCF Insurance. So thank you, WCF. But uh, mm-hmm. tell us about uh, the facilities and the labs at your headquarters because it's made some news. You got a lot of cool stuff up there, 22,000 square feet of uh, uh, safety awesomeness. <laughs> I think you pretty much summed it up right there. <laughs> safety awesomeness. Yeah, that's us. Well, I mean, you look at it, you have uh, an occupational injury prevention lab. You have, uh, well, you call it Center for Meeting Effectiveness, but you got uh, these high-end, all the tech in these uh, rooms, cameras that'll follow the instructors. They... Uh, deliver a course or a meeting, um, both live and, and virtually. You have, I don't know what this is, an industrial hygiene wet lab and an industrial hygiene wind tunnel lab. And then you were on the news or the lab was on the news about these uh, bionic legs and arms. And so, yeah, tell us, just tell us what's going on up there. Yeah, those some what's of those labs lab? are not... They're up on the campus still. Those have not been brought down, but I did take a tour of that facility and what the university is doing with those robotics. I watched them. I saw them put them on and demonstrate them, and it just blows my mind what they're doing up there with that. Yeah. So each department it just has their specialty that, that they work on, and they make a difference in their realm. I don't know what more you want to say about it. I'm not an industrial hygienist. But, you don't, you don't uh, have any bionic arms in your briefcase or anything that you can show us? No, but just... He uses those at parties <laughs> on the weekend. Uh, it really is amazing to see what what advances that they have made to, to change people's lives. Well, you see that, and, uh, you know, when we met uh, earlier, you talked about your vision for uh, the Rocky Mountain Center. Uh, maybe tell us about that. Like, how can we take, you know, where we're at now with, you know, your vision for, uh, you know, not only Ogden, but Davis County, and, you know, how to bring this thing, scale it, uh, you know, more statewide? I think the first thing we need to do is, even though we've been around since the 70s, I think my vision is to become known. I was at a conference yesterday where someone came up to me and says, what is this Rocky Mountain Center? (laughs) And we've been holding that forum for years, and it was not their first time there, but it was their first time becoming aware of the Rocky Mountain Center. Honestly, when I applied for the job, I'd never heard of it. And so I think we need to let people know we're there and what we do. Uh, I think that needs to be one of the first steps. The second thing is we need to go out into the community where the most good can be done, and that's where we need to start. That's why the greatest need, one of the greatest needs, is with those that speak Spanish. So that will definitely be on the forefront of what we do. We learned very quickly through COVID that many were unprepared for the mental stress that COVID would cause in the workplace, and there were, I'm I'm sure that there were some industries out there that were prepared to handle it, but there were many that were not. And then there are those industries that 
we can work with organizations to, to see where there is a need and how we can help, such as first responders. They have m- mental health counseling and things like that for them, but is there some training that would benefit them while they're on the job um, that could help alleviate some of the stress, anxiety, or some of that mental pressure that comes with those high-risk jobs? Yeah. Well, and you're not expected to do this and solve these problems on your own. Like you have a very influential and powerful advisory board, you know, to include our friends, you know, Craig Allen over there at Intermountain Healthcare, uh, Todd Bingham at uh, Utah Manufacturers Association, Catherine Clark, who sits on our board of directors over there at WCF, um, Senator Maine. Um, well, in addition to uh, Senator Maine, Gordon Murdoch from Dominion Energy, he also sits on our board. Uh, Nathan Spencer, you know, he's the uh, head safety officer for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then Steve Thigerson um, from BYU. So uh, even BYU is playing a role in this, uh, you know, Weber State uh, University of Utah love affair. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, um, well, the University of Utah is the only university that you can go and get a doctorate in some of these programs and so weber state and byu and others their programs are a feeder to these graduate degrees yeah so they do have a a high stake in wanting their students to be able to continue their education and make a difference in that field very good well in addition to the rocky mountain center uh, just to uh, clarify so what does what's the relationship with the Rocky Mountain Center and the Mountain West or the Mountain West OSHA Environmental Center that's directed by Crystal Bill? Is that right? Yes. So uh-huh. what's uh what's that related? Does Crystal work for you or do you guys uh, work yes. as colleagues? And she's an employee of Weber State University. The OSHA, the Mountain West OSHA is the OSHA program that was under continuing education. Mm-hmm. So when the partnership took place and Weber State took over the continuing education portion of the Rocky Mountain Center, the OSHA, Mountain West OSHA came with it, and as well as the NIOSH portion of the center for continuing education. Okay. M-W-O-E-C. How would you say that? It's not as cool as, as yours. <laughs> Romco. What is that? Mwike? W-O-E-C. Yeah. Mwike? Mwike. Tell Mwike? Crystal she's got to come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool acronym. Well, you yeah. brought up NIOSH. Uh, so tell us uh, what that is and, and how that integrates to... Uh, you know, the two other acronyms that we're talking about here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you get the full knowledge of my 11 months experience. <laughs> so hold on tight here. <laughs> um, NIOSH stands for the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, and it's under the CDC. So everybody's favorite organization the last couple of years. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So the Rocky Mountain Center is. Uh, a NIOSH research center funded through them in part, in part through a grant. And so where NIOSH focuses mainly on research and then they're more available to create courses that are needed where the OSHA courses are just set. Mm-hmm. They determine the courses and you just do what, what they say. 
So any courses outside of OSHA that we do, we would do under the umbrella of NIOSH as being part of that education center as well. So that's kind of the difference where NIOSH focuses a lot on research and training for like professionals like occupational medicine doctors or those type of things, industrial hygienists, where OSHA works mainly with laborers to keep them safe in their occupation. So it's like some of the courses that we do that's under the NIOSH umbrella. One is the pulmonary function testing. For those that do that testing, they need to, every so many years, they need to come back in to go through the course again. So we have instructors who've been cleared by NIOSH to teach those courses. Lead and asbestos removal, those fall under the NIOSH courses. So if you end up coming up with some mental health training or, you know, education in that, will that fall under the NIOSH arm? Yes. That yeah. would make sense. Okay. Yeah. Anything new that's, uh, that you can tell us that that's being worked on now or how often do they put out new uh, courses and content? Is it a rare thing or a fairly common thing? One, that's one of the great things about partnering with Weber State Continuing Education. Before my little office we had there was like four (laughs) and now merging with weber state and them taking on continuing education we now have a marketing department we have an operations department we have the experience of those that have been running programs for many years and so our ability to expand and grow has increased tremendously through our partnership with Weber State. And so what has been done in the past is the ability to grow has not been there. With a small staff, you can only do so many courses. And so we're now at a place where we've added one more staff member, and we hope to expand that even more so and start to focus on these things where there are needs, Mm -hmm. where we weren't able to put the energy and manpower into developing those courses and and getting them out into the community well you mentioned occupational nursing uh not in this podcast but in a previous conversation but uh, tell us about that that sounds like something that people should uh, really be looking at and excited about in fact you said that boy if people knew what an occupational nurse makes as a starting salary uh you know that program's going to be full so what <laughs> yeah how does uh what What's the plan with that, occupational nursing? Weber State, I believe, in the fall. You can't, I guess, I can't say don't quote me because I'm being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm not on the academic side of it, but it was my understanding that in August they hope to be starting the certification for the occupational health nurse. That will require a bachelor's degree in nursing, and then they can go on to earn and gain a certificate through Weber State, that opens doors to a whole nother realm of that probably a lot of nurses aren't even aware exists. I talked with a gentleman yesterday at our forum that worked for Intermountain Healthcare, and he said there was a great need for that. And I told him what I heard, had heard what the starting salary was, and he goes, oh no. (laughs) it's a lot more than that and that surprised me because i was already i'd I'd already been told a fairly high number that like a hundred thousand dollars higher than a hundred thousand dollars i'm intrigued yeah 150 
160, 165, <laughs> 170. I'm not going to give an exact number because I don't have the exact number. <laughs> so I'll ask you when we're done recording. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but he was explaining that an occupational health nurse is between the doctor and the PA, where in oh. my mind I always thought it would go a doctor, a PA, then a, then a nurse. But he's, he made that clear to me that an occupational health nurse, if you were to put it from the doctor and categorize it down, the one under the doctor is the occupational health nurse. Well, and there is a great need for him. Huh. So, I mean, maybe I'm just showing I don't know that much about it. What's different about their duties? Like, why is why are they at that level? Is it an occupational health nurse, like, in a hospital setting or in, like, actual facilities? They would have those in, the cl- in clinics. Okay. But industry has them as well. So airlines may want an occupational health nurse, uh, hire occupational health nurses. Other industries uh, would want to hire Hmm. occupational health nurses. Interesting. It might be a good opportunity for nurses. You know, we talked a little bit about this with uh, Floyd Johnson with UWASH, and I don't know if you knew this, uh, Kurt, but one of the most hazardous jobs in Utah is uh, working at a hospital. Like there are so many ways to get hurt in the parking lot and in the hospital between, you know, upset patients and patients' families. And there's needles and slippery floors and lifting things and moving things. And every nurse I've ever met, none of them work like a, uh, you know, a nine to five, five day a week job. It's always like a 12, 18 hour shift, you know, six days a week. So... This could be a good opportunity for $200,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> or, or. <laughs> it depends where you are in the country as well, but there is a great need for that, and, and companies and, and hospitals, from what I understand, are, are willing to pay to get that expertise. Hmm. From my understanding, it is more of a 9-to-5 job, but for those that may be the, the stress that came through the pandemic and left that field of nursing because of the stress. Maybe this is something they may want to consider to go back and get a little bit more schooling and look at least look into. Yeah. Well, you brought up the pandemic a couple of times. How has that changed uh, operations over there at the Rocky Mountain Center? I mean, you know, the Utah Safety Council, we're delivering hybrid classes and, you know, a lot of our MSHAR classes are exclusively uh, online now, which enables us to uh, reach a lot bigger audience. But as a pandemic, have you guys really uh, uh, taken advantage of those opportunities or, you know, what's changed over there? Uh, in, in the 11 months that you've been running that show. <laughs> yeah, I have never met my predecessor, Diane, but she brought a great skill set with her while she was there. And before the pandemic, she'd already start to move some courses to online, which helped when the pandemic hit. We didn't have to shut down completely and then scramble trying to find a way to provide training. So... Uh, there were still some training that we were able to do because of my predecessor. She was able to initiate online learning and something that was fairly new to them. And so they were able to carry on on some of those courses that had been prepared. And we're just hoping to continue to grow that. So if you have uh, students or professionals who want to take CE classes, uh, there's a possibility they could either take a live or in person or... Uh, over the computer or like you have all the tech over there it sounds like all the know-how 
Well, the well, delivery for, platforms. For an online course, all you need is a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, it's, the, you know, three years internet. ago was, I mean, it's simple now, but three years ago. <laughs> right. Absolutely. How do we do, remember that, those meetings, like, how do we do this? Oh, no. It was, it was overwhelming, yeah. right? I mean, we had never hosted a webinar until that, now we do them every month, so... You kind of figure it out, right? Yeah, the but technology is caught up, and we've been able to utilize that technology. So Canvas courses where you can have live instructors and everyone can be there and participate and still show things on the screen. I think the pandemic... pandemic ta- <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of... It's a lot of... I know. Lot of I know. Why <laughs> there, there was that, that long pause is because I was told <laughs> if it was funny, they're not going to edit it out. <laughs> So <laughs> we did, we'll edit it out, but we'll put it in the intro. <laughs> now you just made it funny. No, I shouldn't have. Um, the pandemic opened a door to education that really had not been explored to the degree that it could have been or maybe should have been. So, you know, if, if OSHA had been saying, uh, no, we will only accept live courses, this forced that to change which is a good thing. Now you can reach people that maybe can't travel if they're in a far part of a state and doesn't, don't have the ability to travel or the time, whatnot, that they can, from the comfort of their home, they can get the necessary training that they need. So uh, with all the bad that happened because of the pandemic, there was also some good that surfaced, and education is one of those. You're seeing that in the university levels where Online learning is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. You, you've seen that in business and other industries. You've seen it in safety industries. Yeah. That mm-hmm. It's opened a door that we can all benefit from. Yeah. I mean, we're rusty. I'm well, not too rusty, but we're delivering a conference live in person in a few weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've, uh, it, it was a lot of work putting them together virtually, but uh, it's a whole different uh, thing, too, to, do both you know virtual hybrid and live and in person and so yeah the pandemic was real right just for the record just for those of you listening that says the pandemic was fake it was it was it was a real thing absolutely certainly felt real yeah it was real <laughs> for some just to put that out there for the record <laughs> yeah and especially those that were affected by that so many people yeah and know. and think about how what was the safety training in industries before as compared to after you you walk around now and all there's signs all over there's places to wash there's places to prevent the spread of illness and disease where before the pandemic who thought of worrying about us the, the spread of a of yeah. A virus. Yeah, two years ago, we were sloppy, slobbery people. <laughs> we were shaking hands and sneezing on each other, and we didn't have isopropyl alcohol anywhere, and now look at us, yeah. sterile everywhere we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I bring up the pandemic uh, because I'm segueing into uh, uh, your safety and hygiene industrial conference. Um, how was that? You pulled that off last October and, you know, how much, uh, uh, the content or, uh, those courses were on the pandemic and COVID and, you know, how it interacts with the workplace and, you know, moving forward and, you know, preventing death and 
how much of an effect did the pandemic have on the safety conference or the, the IH industrial or the hygiene conferences, uh, the local safety professionals refer to it as? I know I asked like nine questions there, so just pick yeah. the one you want to <laughs> I'll see if I can remember any of them. <laughs> but I think one of the things that came from that is the mental health need in the industry. We had some presentations there, especially one was focused on construction workers and just and understanding the science and how it affects the body and then what we can do, what what's available to help us to get ourselves through that, what tools are needed. And, and I think j- there, were, there became a lot of awareness from that pandemic. And in our last conference that we held, we made sure that some of that was, was covered. So when you're building uh, the content or the, the calendar, the agenda for the conference, do you uh, take recommendations or do you take the, the pulse of what's going on in the safety industry and you build courses or, you know, recruit speakers around that? Or is it just, uh, oh, you know, that's what we did last year. We'll do it again this year. No, we um, just like you mentioned, the advisory board for the Rocky Mountain Center, we have an advisory council just for CE. So we, and they're in both different industries and education and professional backgrounds in health and safety. And so we have an advisory committee that I use to kind of navigate our big picture. But when we do conferences or things like that, we have advisory committees for every conference or forum that we do that come from health and safety industry as well as just industry in general, different industries. Yeah. And they provide the great insight that we need to be able to have a, a conference that meets those needs of mm-hmm. those that will be coming. Yeah, very cool. Well, Brandy's the 20-year veteran. Maybe, Brandy, uh, tell us how... Uh, <laughs> look at Curry, he's like kicking back like, oh, yes. I know. He didn't give me these <laughs> questions either, so I don't well, know what's going to happen. We're still talking conferences. So the Utah <laughs> Safety Council, Utah Safety Conference is coming up in March. Uh, you know, we've been delivering that for five or six years now, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Rocky Mount Center's a hygiene conference been around longer, uh, tell us how they're uh, different and how they complement each other and you know why um, there's room for both conferences in our little state of Utah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think safety is safety, right? So it has all the different arms and aspects. And so um, promoting safety across all industries is important. And I don't think they're in competition with each other by any means. I think we have kind of each each conference has your own customers. And, um, there's a lot of crossover too. And I've learned over the time I've been around is safety is comprehensive as well. So I think it can encompass all types. So, you know, we used to sit on the council or that advisory group, um, some representative from the safety council used to sit on that and it was always a good process, right? There's a lot of good that comes out of those meetings all the time. And, a lot of smart people in a room that know a lot of safety, you know, speakers and that kind of thing and, and have their pulse really on the industry. So that part's really cool about what you guys do, but yours is in October. Ours is usually in the spring. So they're kind of opposite of each other, which I think is great. And I think it's a good way for both of us to do um, continuing education credits for our customers as well. 
but you know, you guys, yours is a lot more focused on maybe industrial hygiene, right? That's, that's the name of it. Whereas the safety councils might be more general safety or, you know, um, forklifts and confined space and, and different things, right? Different topics. Um, but like I said, I don't think that it means that you can't go to both. Never wanted it to be like that. And so at some point when we decided to host our own, we stopped coming to yours and planning. But I think there's a lot that we can still share with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There, if there's a feeling of competition between health and safety organizations, then their focus is not on health and safety. Mm-hmm. There's no way that my team can handle all safety training in every aspect in our region. There's just no way. And let alone in the state. And so there are certain expertise that you have that you play a very vital role that we can't fill. There's just no way for us to do that. And so working together, I think, is how it needs to be. If our intent is correct that we want to save lives and and good health then then there is no competition yeah see, that's exactly it I mean, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing we're all nonprofits. you know we don't do this because we're making two hundred thousand dollars a year like the occupational nurses are doing but <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to save lives and uh you know make utah a safer place to live work and play right and you know, I think uh, with the partnerships of our organizations and, you know, I think it's a great example that Weber State and, uh, uh, you know, the University of Utah are doing. And I it's crazy. I'm here holding a Utah State University admissions pen. I don't know where I got this. But anyway, yeah, all of uh, Utah's universities and, you know, the different uh, safety organizations throughout the state. And, you know, a lot of our instructors, you know, they also uh, not only contract and teach for us, uh, but they do for the Rocky Mountain Center and for crystal over there at the mountain west center and then they do their own little you know side gigs on their own too so it's all good and we welcome all of it and uh i think uh, at the end of the day we're all just trying to accomplish the same things like none of us want to you know read and hear about you know these tragedies that sometimes occur on workplaces or you know in utah's uh, roads or you know spaces and we just you know want to prevent all of that absolutely plus i think it's super awesome that uh you know, on uh, <laughs> on the website, the front page is a picture of, uh, you know, our people putting out a fake fire. It's pretty cool. <laughs> we thought you'd like that. We loved it. Yeah. We yeah. always try to be a fun booth. We really do. <laughs> we have, yeah, we have yeah. socks. We have uh, spicy Cheetos yeah. <laughs> and fake fires. Well, I mean, we've been such a a big partner um, over popcorn. the years. Don't forget the popcorn. And popcorn. And people really do love the popcorn. I've heard somebody's told me at that that we make better popcorn than Megaplex. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's true, but I like to think it's true. Um, we're taking Megaplex down. <laughs> Safety for everybody, but we're only, we're taking the popcorn <laughs> crown. Yeah, so, I mean, I think an important part is of safety is involving people and safety is hands-on. And so that's kind of what we try to do in the booth when we attend is... We have something fun, and what we challenged people to do this last year was uh, be the fastest to put out a fire. And so people got super competitive. They would come back over and over and over and be like, "No way, he, no way, he put it out in three seconds." <laughs> like I know him. There's no way he did that. But 
yeah, I mean, it was a good way and, and memorable, and that's part of you know safety education. Well, the so. hygiene conference is a lot of fun. It happens uh, at the Union Building. Correct. Still happening yep. there at mm-hmm. the, on campus, University of Utah. Uh, who can attend? Do you have to have like a specific type of safety credential or do you have to be a student or enrolled in CE classes or can anybody uh, register and attend and participate? Anyone could attend. We do have a lot of professionals that come, but anyone who has an interest, they're welcome to register and come be a part. Very cool. The last thing I want to ask you about is this uh, Richard Safe Workplace Lecture Series. Is that some? Yeah, tell us about that and who can go to that and what is it? Who can attend? Give us the details on that. That looks fun. That's a new thing. That's a lecture series that we hold right there in downtown at our at the Rocky Mountain Center, and they have different speakers come in and they speak on a variety of topics and. Uh, you're welcome to attend live, or they also will stream it so people can. And we try to do it during kind of a lunch hour so that those that can take a lunch break and they're interested in the topic that's being presented, they they can participate. So if if you go to the website, you'll be able to see when those are and what topics are if they interest you and participate all you'd like. How do, how do they find it? What is the website? It's a long website. Maybe they just Google it. What's the best way for them to find the website? Or do you just want to give out your personal cell phone number? <laughs> no. We will link it. <laughs> we, will, we will link the website, uh, this podcast, and we put it out. Yeah, if you, were to, if you were to Google the Rocky Mountain Center, you would find it. If, if you just put in the initials for the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational Environmental Health, that's the website. So if you go there, you should, you'd be able to find it. Very cool. Well, I learned a lot about the different divisions before we started. That's what we were t- kind of talking about. So there's no way I'm going to remember it. So I may send you a note and ask for your org chart so I can study up for next time. But Absolutely. yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot that even being in around the safety council and your organization that I didn't know. So it was good. Thank you. No, oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> You're doing work. Good work. Keep it up. Sounds like uh, you'll have another 30-plus years there before you decide to retire, retire. <laughs> I do want to thank no. you for everything you've done <laughs> for, uh, you know, the Wojciechowski family. You know, growing up, Brad and Michael wanted to be ninjas. And then I think with your guidance and, and help, you know, they're actually employed as educators now. So I think you really made a difference in, you know, the lives of Brad and Michael Wojcikowski. Well, hey, maybe they were the two students who nominated him. You should ask them maybe. for the who's who. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not, just because, you know. <laughs> now they would, back then, you know, ninjas all the way. Well, uh, this has been Speaking Up for Safety, Utah Safety Council's podcast where we highlight uh, the safety professionals in the state of Utah that are saving lives and making a difference and doing the work that matters. That doesn't sound too bad. That was great. That Do was that again. Good. Yeah. Just, just record it. Play it back. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Kurt, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me.